Welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, my name's Pastor Roger, and I'm glad you're assembled at church or that you're listening online, on Facebook, uh, on our web uh, site, centennialroad.com, podcast, Mars Hill Radio, Kojiko. We try to get the good news out in every possible way we can. So glad you are at church this morning. I want to say happy Thanksgiving weekend to everyone. Um, for some of you, tomorrow is Big Turkey Day. I noticed on Facebook some of you had it yesterday. Uh, my family, we have it this afternoon. And so in order for me to get to Peterborough, uh, for my family, I will preach for six minutes. <laughs> Just kidding. Several weeks ago, I was reading in uh, Psalm 50. And I thought of these verses for this Thanksgiving weekend. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me and prepare the way so that I may show my salvation. Giving thanks honors God and can actually make a way to see his salvation. Now that is easy to do on a Thanksgiving weekend, isn't it? When we pay attention to all of his blessings on our Thanksgiving Sunday or our holiday Monday. But think of the word sacrifice. That means giving thanks when it's costly, when it hurts. And that brings me to Tuesday, which will be Pregnancy and Infant Loss Remembrance Day. Giving thanks in the midst of hardship is a high honor to God, the scripture tells us. It is a sacrifice of praise to reflect on his goodness in the remembrance of sorrow. Now, if you know someone who needs encouragement in this area, please visit our Hope Box display in our boulevard. Devotional author Gail Rogers wrote, Giving thanks to God can be a hard thing to do, especially when things happen that make us more likely to say, why God instead? Thank offerings come easy some days. The sun shines and we feel the blessing of the Lord. Thanksgiving is our natural response. On other days, Thanksgiving is truly a sacrifice. In the middle of writing this devotional, our home was broken into. Thanksgiving was not my first response. Yet here in this verse, God tells us an amazing truth. He says that when we offer thanks and praise to him, even when it's a sacrifice to do so, we honor him. This prepares the way for him to work on our behalf. Thanksgiving is actually a door. I pondered how to thank God in the midst of this violation. I was not thankful for the loss. But I discovered I could be thankful in it. As I intentionally shifted my gaze to God and not to the mess around me, I became aware of being thankful for several things. Our personal safety, uh, that certain items were not taken, the immediate help and care from family and friends, and the reminder that God is our warrior, working, even fighting on our behalf. And as a result, God's peace settled over our hearts and minds and over our home. And then she uh, ended her devotional with this prayer. Thank you, Lord God, that thanksgiving is so much more than a trite attitude 
of gratitude. And now when I read that, I'm like, well, I like that phrase, attitude of gratitude. But she had placed that word trite in front of it. And so I thought about it. Well, sometimes Thanksgiving is costly and precious. It is of great value. It's remaining true to God's goodness in the light of life's badness. She continued her prayer. Thank you for the truth of your word that when we do give you our thanks, even when it's hard to, we honor you. And it opens a door for you to work and to bring your peace and wisdom. Thank you that we can always offer thanksgiving for who you are and all you are to us, even in the midst of challenges. We praise you and ask this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. And so my prayer is likewise for you as well. May you be strengthened in your thanksgiving this whole week, as sacrificial as it may be in Jesus' name. Well, we are in week three of our new sermon series, Unshakable, Thriving, No Matter What Hits You. And we are already hearing some wonderful stories and reports of how people are connecting throughout the week to dig a bit into Sunday's messages as well as the unshakable curriculum through our groups. I am so glad that you have signed up. 300 of us have signed up. That's pretty amazing. Way to go, church. Very proud of you. Yeah, amen. Good for you. Now, as a quick overview, week uh, one, Pastor Justin kicked off the series with when your world is shaken up. And the bottom line was that regardless of whatever's shaking you up, God wants to use it for good. We can have unshakable faith by sticking with God and sticking with each other. There is strength in community. Now, last week, Pastor Eric spoke about gifts from God to overcome pressure to conform. And the bottom line there was don't just go along to get along. God has given us the gifts of his system, which is the kingdom teachings, his son, Jesus, the Christ, and his spirit for our empowering. And this week, I've got when your beliefs are belittled. Now, each of these weeks is looking at a different kind of hit that our faith can take in this world. And it seems to me there are all kinds of hits that our faith takes. And as I thought about that, I had a picture of boxing. And so I looked up some boxing hits. You know, there's the jab, there's the hook, there's the uppercut. And some hits we will just have to absorb because we don't see them coming at all. And we'll have to trust God for his pain relief. Other hits I hope that we can deflect so that we can remain standing. And some hits we can actually anticipate so we can prepare. And as this applies to faith, your Christianity does not have to be just reactive. It can also be preparatory. It can be proactive. And the first point in our study this week is to decide in advance to stand for God. That's the first note in your program. Stand for God. In my second year of university, um, I had to walk quite a ways from the campus to home, and I, and I would sometimes walk with a friend. She lived with her parents in the same neighborhood, and I rented a room. And one day as we were walking together, she says, oh, I've got a joke to tell you. I said, sure. And I said, wait a minute. Is it a clean joke or is it a dirty joke? She said, it's a dirty joke. 
And uh, I said, oh, I can't, I can't listen then. And she's, ah, oh, come on. And she's proceeded to tell me the joke. And I put my hands over my ears and I started singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I wasn't going to listen to the joke. And she's laughing. She's trying to tell the joke. And I'm still singing along and we're walking along the highway. Anyhow, she stops. I don't know if she finished the joke or just got fed up. Um, and when she stopped, of course, I stopped. And she said, man, you really take this Christianity stuff pretty seriously, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And I began to share with her why I take this Christianity stuff pretty seriously. Our culture belittles our faith by minimizing the impact of crude jokes. They may seem harmless, but they're not. As a young Christian, I came across Ephesians chapter 5, which completely reshaped my behavior from a guy who often told crude jokes. I liked getting the laugh. I liked the shock factor. But then when I came across Ephesians 5, I learned this. Let's look at it. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking. And that even means no cursing on Facebook which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. The person who does not participate in the crude joke-telling can often be ostracized, ignored, tolerated, maybe even picked on a little bit as the holy one, ridiculed in some small measure. It is persecution in its mildest form, and it can be very alienating and hurtful, even as a preacher at weddings or funerals. I'm doing my duty, and everyone loves that, but then when you're milling about with the crowd afterwards, it is interesting how awkward some people can be to hold a normal conversation with the Holy One, with the pastor, with uh, the Christian that they know is a Christian. There can be some discomfort in having our Christianity public. That is just a reality, folks. Jesus himself said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is par for the course for us to have some discomfort. And whatever age we are, whether we're young or whether we're old, hardship is normal. At least for a Christian, it's for a good cause. Now, as Psalm 50 says, when we sacrifice thank offerings, we prepare the way, and God will show forth his salvation. For example, I am amazed at the number of times that those same people who may have mocked me or teased me or joked about my faith are the same people who might silently approach me when life deals them a crisis. When life gets hard, got messy, who'd they come and talk to? 
the Holy One, the Christian, right? There is all kinds of value when we decide in advance to stand for God, when we have a proactive faith. Now, if you haven't been with us uh, for the last two weeks, we are looking at inspiration from Daniel's life. His people were living in war-torn Jerusalem in 605 B.C., as other citizens were being captured for the king of Babylon's purposes. Again, let's look at it in Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. So he's plundering Jerusalem. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. He's going after the cream of the crop. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He is going after the debate team. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, in effect, to set aside their own beliefs for that of the culture around them. Now, the message version puts it this way, indoctrinate them in the Babylonian and the lore of magic and fortune-telling. He was trying to brainwash them effectively. Yet, Daniel and his friends, they were determined from a very young age to stand for God. Now, they were 15 at the time of their capture, but they were going to remain true to God's ways and his teaching. This meant it would take some effort, but they would have grown up reciting parts of the Old Testament every day. For instance, in Deuteronomy 6, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. That would have been part of their makeup. All your strength includes your entire mind. The original Hebrew word is also translated might. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And that means to love God vehemently, diligently, exceedingly, loudly, and to the utmost. The implication is that you need your mind to do that to be a thinking believer, to be studious about your faith. And this thinking love complements the experience love, the feeling of God's presence, the experiencing him at camp, for instance, or in a very moving service. We need both. We are to love God with both our emotions and our intellect. And the fact is we are under attack in both of these arenas. Our emotions and our intellect are under attack by our culture, by the world, and by the devil. In my first year of university, I met this girl, Lily. She was this lovely girl, great smile, twinkle in her eyes. She loved Jesus. Uh, she was just a real delight to know. Uh, we got to know each other a little bit at our InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And then after several months, we stopped seeing Lily. And, and we were wondering where she was at. 
So a couple months later, I'm walking the quad, and uh, I'm going from one building to the next for my next class, and she's doing the opposite. And I see her like, Lily, haven't seen you for months. What's going on? Well, her whole countenance had changed. The sparkle was gone. There was no smile. She just looked dejected and sad. And I'm like, Lily, what happened? And she said, oh, I took an anthropology course. And that was it. And then we continued on to our classes. And I thought, wow, the fine-sounding arguments of humanist thinking have derailed her faith. In modern education, just because we see similarities between chimpanzees and humans doesn't mean that the theory of evolution is valid. Lily was derailed by the implications and by the parallels and by the seeming logic of a prevalent theory. It's just a theory. And you team that up with a little bit of persecution, some ridicule, certainly bullying attitudes from our professors, I still recall that, disdain by peers, well, that can shake your world. And that is why it's so important that our faith impacts our intellect to love God with all of our mind. Now, a few years later, I was fortunate enough to land a job as a teacher's assistant um, in the biology lab. As a fourth-year student, uh, senior students were often employed by the university to teach first-year labs. We'd have to set up the lab, we'd have to mark their assignments, we did a bunch of that teaching. Well, in my classes, I explained my view that you could be a scientist and still be a creationist. You didn't have to be an evolutionist to be a scientist, that you could be a creationist. Well, I'll tell you the relief that it brought to several of uh, the Christian first-year students. It was tangible. Many of them spoke with me afterwards. My professor also spoke with me afterwards, <laughs> yes. I got in a little bit of trouble uh, from her. I was not to promote that worldview. All throughout history, people have had to deal with differing belief systems. And one author says this about what Daniel and his friends faced in their day. The Babylonian school system was totally ungodly. It was based on myths and all kinds of superstitions. It involved all kinds of occult practices, false science, and mysticism. However, not everything in the Babylonian culture was bad. The Babylonians were the first to discover the planet Jupiter. They were great at studying the stars. But along with astronomy came astrology. The Babylonians believed in many different gods. They invented the zodiac, believing that the gods spoke to us through the stars. The Babylonians thought that the number 60 was a magical number, so they divided up the hour into 60 minutes, and each minute into 60 seconds. Obviously, we still use that today. They invented the idea that the circle has 360 degrees. That means 6 times 60. In any education, it is only as good as the content you learn. And you can go to school all your life, but if what you're learning is untrue, then that content is not going to help you. And that is why it is important for us to study the scriptures, to talk about faith in groups, to invest in an intelligent faith, even when our world thinks it's useless. 
Well, Daniel and his friends, they were determined to continue to stand for God, even if everyone else around them was either afraid or complicit or even hostile to their beliefs. And I love how Daniel and his friends did it. It's in verses 8 to 13. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord, the king, who was assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So he makes a good point. His, his fear is founded. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel and his friends. And I'm going to paraphrase here. Uh, well, he is busy being the official over all of the captives, over all the prisoners. You, you're our personal guard. Do us this solid. Do us this favor. Test us for 10 days. Let's look at it in verse 12. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. I love how Daniel's resolve shows up here. Your boss is afraid. Justifiably so, I get that but I don't want to be defiled. Please, at least give us a chance to prove ourselves. Test. Compare. Treat. Test us fairly. Compare us honestly. And treat us accordingly. I love his resolve. I love what he set up here. When your beliefs are belittled and when what you hold dear is threatened or challenged or mocked, remain steadfast, resolved, confident in the God that we serve. We can say to those who belittle us, test us in this. Compare our ways with your ways and treat us accordingly. Now, you've got to keep in mind that whoever you're talking to, the they, have to have some semblance of openness. The chief official, he already liked Daniel, but he was afraid. So, of course, Daniel went to the guard instead. There was something about the way that Daniel conducted himself that won him favor with his captors. Well, the same is true for us today. We can conduct ourselves in such a way that even our enemies can respect us. I had several professors at university who believed completely opposite what I believed. Some were rude to me. Others just tolerated me. But none of them could ever accuse me of being a lazy student or disrespectful to them. And because of that, they sometimes at least listened to me. Honoring God in your behavior can sometimes bring favor. Other times ridicule, I do get that, but sometimes favor. Honoring God in your behavior can sometimes bring favor. Hey, there you go, there's a rhyme. <laughs> 
You will have the same privileges in your schools and workplaces. People will not agree with your beliefs. They may even belittle you. But if you can appeal to them on some level of integrity or openness or honesty at least, then you can be tested fairly, compared honestly, and treated accordingly. Some battles you will win, others you will not, probably because they won't fight fair. But Jesus already warned us about those days, didn't he? In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus also said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. Wow. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Imagine that. He is putting us in the same group as the prophets. We are in very good company, my friends. You are persecuted? Well, so were some of the bigwigs of the Bible. And my final point is this. I am hopeful that our testimony may parallel Daniel's and his friends, as in verses 19 to 20. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So whatever the testing, whatever the comparison, and whatever the treatment, may we be found without equal. Amen? Even ten times better.